to It's New Orleans Happy Hour. My name is Grant Morris and I'm sitting here at the Collins Hotel at 3811 St. Charles Avenue in Uptown New Orleans. St. Charles Avenue is gorgeous and tree-lined. The streetcar rattles by the Collins Hotel. It's a beautiful place to come and have a drink if you live in New Orleans and a great place to come and stay if you're coming to visit us here in New Orleans. And my three special guests at Happy Hour this weekend are actually there's more than three. There's four special guests at Happy Hour this week. Uh, Frank Perez. Frank, welcome to Happy Hour. Hello, I'm good. How are you doing? Doing very well. Very well. My other guests are Frank Jones. Hello, everybody. As opposed to Frank Perez. And they see, I don't book the show myself, and it's booked by two individual different people who books the, book the music guests, who you are, Frank, and the other guests, who you are, Frank. And so somehow we ended up with two people named Frank on the same show, which is actually hey, the third time this has happened. So heads are going to roll. Franks? No, one was Michaels. <laughs> one was Michaels, and one was, what was the other one? I can't remember. Two women were the same name. And now we have two Franks and a Karen. Hi, Karen Wallace. Hi. Frank Jones yes. and Karen Wallace yes. are in a band called Gene Eric. Yes. Correct? Yes. Okay. Frank Perez is a writer. Correct? Yes. And Rachel Dangermond is also a writer. That's correct. Oh. Correct. And Rachel, what do you write? Well, I write uh, about public media companies for one of the largest independent research firms in the United States. Actually, maybe even globally. And you I have also, to really slow down and say that much slower. Okay. You write what sort of res- media did you say? I write. That was Frank Perez coughing because he's a smoker, correct? Yes, I am. Pal- <laughs> Parliament lights and camels. Camel number nine. T- camel number nine. <laughs> you like both. Why are the, why is there yes. camel number nine? He didn't bring his Xanax, Frank. He didn't. <laughs> I normally require Xanax to leave the quarter. I'm something of a quarter rat. So once you get above Canal Street, do you start to get weak and woozy? A little bit. This is a long way uptown. Yes, it is. When was the last time you were up this far? I can't even remember. (laughs) We'll get back to the writing in a minute, but let's just ask him something. Sure. Well, you ask him. Well, uh, did you get the camel number nines on Canal Street or past it? No, I got them in the quarter. In the quarter, okay. Mary Jane's? Uh, I, I wouldn't know what you're talking about. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. You were talking about the okay, name the of the Opera House. Maybe the Opera House. Okay. You were talking about the name of a cigarette tobacco store, yes. mm-hmm. and you think he's talking about marijuana. Well, it's the same mm-hmm. name. Is it like a head it's shop? Called Mary, yes, yeah, exactly. It's Mary a head shop. Before, Does yeah. it sell pot? No, no, I don't think so. Not, you, not so, yet. Not, <laughs> not yet. Like you know, there's, there's vendors in New Orleans that sell the. Uh, the incense, or what is it called? Oh, they potpourri. call it, they the call it spice. The I herbal think. potpourri, which the is potpourri. not intended. Is it the bath salts? That's oh, different. no, the bath salts are totally different. Different. <laughs> it's called mojo. It's like chemical sprayed hay, I guess, and people smoke it. But it's called potpourri. When you say people smoke it, have you tried it? I have, I have tried it. What do you think? Any good? No. Do you get high or what? It's not something I would want to do again. I don't know. If you're gonna feel like if you're gonna smoke weed, you may as well just go ahead and go buy a bag of weed versus them going yeah. by chemically sprayed. Where would trash. You? I think it makes you more sick than anything. What wow. the, the chemically the, the sprayed hay? The fake weed, yes. <laughs> fake weed. Fake have you, weed. Have you I mean, smoked people go to the hospital. There just should be a law against fake weed, don't you think? I think there is now. That's why they oh. changed the name of it. Yeah, it used oh. to be called Mojo. And you remember and that, that issue of the Gambit, and the whole cover was like the the spilled over jar of the Mojo stuff. Oh. Uh-huh. And I think it's just been recently illegalized. But now it's called potpourri, or it's called incense, or it's called or diamond bag. There's, I've know. read lots of stuff of people getting sick and uh-huh. hurt. <laughs> so, Have, what sort of sick, Frank? You said you got sick smoking it, did you? Well, I, I smoked it once, and I, I felt a pretty good buzz, but then I felt really ill. 
What's it feel like? Nauseous or dizzy? A little, or? little, little dizzy and a little nauseous. I think it's just better to smoke the real thing. Yeah. If you're going to smoke that sort of thing, should you so, smoke that? So thing? you'd recommend smoking weed above chemically sprayed hay? Absolutely. Because it's orga- oh, it's natural at least. Absolutely. At least. It's not chemically. Sprayed. I think we all well, agree with that. Uh huh. But I mean, I didn't okay. inhale. So. No. So that's probably why you didn't get sick. <laughs> yeah. Was as Frank went crazy and, <laughs> and loaded up. So when you say uh, you write for you know a media what? company, can I tell you something? Go Most ahead. people don't understand what I do. Not even my partner understands what I do. Who's so your partner? My partner is a professor at Tulane. Yeah. Uh, teaches Spanish cinema in the Spanish and Portuguese department. That would be a small class, I would think. Uh, the no. Spanish cinema class at Tulane University. No, in Portuguese. No, no. In Portuguese. Uh, in Spa- she, it's not in Spanish. It's the Spanish and Portuguese department. Oh. Okay. But she specializes in Spanish cinema. Wow. So your partner's and a woman. My partner is a woman. Okay, and she and she teaches at Tulane. And she doesn't. And yet she's an so she's an intellectual. She's an academic. Yes. She obviously knows a foreign language, and she still doesn't understand what you do. That's true. <laughs> and she lives with you. She no knows doubt. two foreign languages because she's Croatian. Oh, wow. wow, she's a Croatian professor of Spanish, Spanish cinema and cinema. literature. Mm-hmm. Holy crap! That's right, amazing. and she doesn't understand how what I you, do. How did you meet her? I met her in front of Mimi's on Fat Tuesday. Which wow. one? That's a good, good new story. <laughs> uh, 2008. So you've been together for, oh, this will be your anniversary coming up. We just had our anniversary Febru- February 5th. Oh, because Mardi Gras is late this year. Right, so you exactly. Have, We're a month early. Early. Right. Wow, well, that's exciting. Two years. And how is it working out? Well, not two years. We celebrate our third year anniversary. Three years, I'm sorry. And we're entering our fourth year, right? And we actually adopted a little boy um, a year ago. Wow. And he's turning two on Endymion because he's a Mardi Gras baby. That's pretty pretty exciting. So you've had a lot of life changes in the last couple of years. A lot. Mm -hmm. Three years, sorry. Yes, three years. And what sort of condition were you in before you met your partner who's a Spanish Versus the condition I'm in now. Yeah, I mean, now you're happy and settled and, <laughs> and you have a kid. What were you doing before that? Um, I, you know, it depends on how far back you want to go, but let's go back to Katrina, the federal flood. And um, <laughs> I was building a house that took two and a half years. You were building a house before I, Katrina started, before we had Katrina? I bought a house sight unseen when I was in California. I'm okay, from New so Orleans. You're I was a wacky in California. person right there. Bought it sight unseen because it was on the bayou. Okay. And I moved home May of 05 after being gone for 16 years and gutted it, was ready to start building it, and the federal flood and Katrina came. Oh, so wow. what made you want to come back? It's my home. Uh, California was never my home, and my mother at the time was you know, starting her decline. She ended up dying at the end of 2009, uh, the same week that we adopted our son. Was that, by, that was a, by chance, I assume. It didn't kill her, the shock. Uh, I think that, you know, I never believed in these things, but I think that she actually had something to do with it. She died on a Monday, and we adopted him on Monday, and he was a total surprise. You adopted him on the same day? A week later. A week, the de- week after she died? Mm-hmm. And, he, and you didn't know at that time that you were going to adopt? You- we, had, we had had two failed adoptions. How can you have a failed adoption? What happens? We were with one woman here for seven months, and she changed her mind at the last minute, and then we were with another couple that ended up being federal fugitives. Oh, wow. Wow. And, um, wow, that's the case. <laughs> but, but they're still having a, having a baby. We believe, we did think that she was pregnant. The first one, we, I actually went hang to on, the doctor. Hang on, hang on, hang <laughs> on. The, the federal fugitives said that they're pregnant, but they weren't? We'd, I don't know. We saw them. She looked pregnant, but I don't know. Wow. Hey, so you guys many, want a drink? Yes. 
What can we get you, Frank? <laughs> Here's our fabulous waitress. Hi. Hi, how Hello. are you doing? Hi. Good to see you again. What are we having? I'm good. I'm Frank, good. what are you? Uh, Diet Coke. Diet Coke. You can have anything, you know. It's a cocktail. Not today. Not today, really. Not for happy hour. Okay. Well, it's happy hour. Well, my Frank, don't let us push you into it. We already know where you live, Frank. Let me tell you, I recently <laughs> saw my liver specialist. He is a bit concerned, so I'm taking it easy until Mardi Gras. Good for you. Ah, I like that. That's plan. very sensible. That's a good plan. I love how that excuse only works in New Orleans. Yeah, yeah. I'm putting it off for a week <laughs> and a half. Because I'm going to have to drink all day on Mardi Gras. Yeah. Have a glass of Sauvignon Blanc. And can Frank? I please have a gin gimlet, please? Thanks. What is a gin gimlet? Anyway? It's just lime, lime juice and gin, and gin on the rocks. Oh, okay. It's very good. That sounds healthy. Do you want to try it? it? No, I'm all right, thanks. I've got my gin and tonic over here. Yeah, I'm good. Thank you very much. So where the where where were you? We were talking about the the um, federal couple who may or may not have been pregnant. Can't you couldn't tell whether she was pregnant? Well, she looked pregnant, but she it was very strange. She. It's always a difficult question to ask someone who strange. looks pregnant if they right. are, isn't it? I mean, it? does can, it require? It, it didn't be a, require money exchange, did it? Yes, it did. It we, we yeah, oh, we, we spent oh, sixty-two thousand dollars. Sixty-two thousand dollars on adoption. <gasps> On all three, or just the all successful three. one? All three. How much did you give the federal fugitives? Oh, I think, I don't even remember at this point. Um, possibly what? there was maybe, it, remember we were we had lawyers, lots of lawyers involved. So a lawyer in New York, a lawyer right. in Connecticut, and then the lawyer in South Carolina where the federal fugitives lived. And um, So, you know, there were lots of people getting paid lots of money. So you pay, I mean, what are you paying for, like? Do you pay for prenatal care? Or? You know, like, for instance, here with the woman we were dealing with who was a New Orleans native, um, you basically, every state has different arrangements, but here we paid for her cost of living, so we gave her a, kind of oh, a living right. expense. And then um, we and paid attorneys. And, and all that. We didn't pay, well, she was on public assistance, so we didn't have to pay any of that. But How did um, you find her? We uh, started here with a private adoption attorney um, okay. who we adore. Um, she was very helpful. And because that failed, we ended up going with uh, an attorney in New York because we had heard that there were many successes, particularly because we're a gay couple and so and an older couple. How old are you? Is that a I'm, bad I'm question? Be, no, I'll be 52 in May. Okay, so you had a baby when you were 50. Or exactly, you adopted a baby when right. you were 50. So right on 50. 50. Yeah. And how old was your mom when she died? She, was, uh, she would have been 74 in December. She died in November. Oh, pretty young. Mm-hmm, yeah. Wow, okay. So how's it working out with this little kid and everything? It's fabulous. He's great. Oh, he's, he's, What's he's, his name? His name is Constantine, but we call him Tin. Cute. Cute. Okay. Yeah, he's That's very, good. Very, so, yeah, he's great. He's not here. As I see you looking around, I thought maybe No, he's, he's not here. Uh, <laughs> but no, he's actually napping right now, hopefully. Okay. So. I'm curious. Now, go on, Frank. I'm sorry, yes, I was curious. Frank Perez. This is. Yes. Did you ever find out what the fugitives were on the lam for? Yeah, they were um, actually working with the government to set up drug dealers. Ah. Come on. Wow. Wow. That's I mean, an of excellent all the question. random people in so, the world. Yes. <laughs> But they were they were setting up drug dealers. Yeah. They were like yeah. They were like knocks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they, but so see, they how got does busted. that make you a fugitive? Well, no, they were busted, and then see, they were busted, and then they did this, and then, you know, look, let me just tell you, things happen, you know, for everybody. Yeah. They, of course. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, that's so. a good way. Of looking. That's the sort of Croatian <laughs> philosophy, right? Well, you things know, happen. Can you say it, that in Croatian yet, or Spanish? No, I can say it maybe in Spanish. Say that. Say la vie, that's French. Yeah, exactly. Do you, do you teach French? French? I teach French immersion. So I don't teach French as a subject. I teach every subject in French. So you speak fluent French, then. Mm-hmm. How come? 
Oh God, people ask me that all the time. I just, oh, I'm sorry. I'll I don't, I don't really know. I think language, it's just kind of think, something I've always been interested in. I started studying French in 11th grade yeah. and never stopped. Mm-hmm. And so then, um, because of Katrina, I was at UN, I was uh, entering my junior year of college at Katrina. And, um, the so federal we, flood, excuse me. The federal me. flood. Mm-hmm. And uh, because of, I mean, I lost everything. I was living in mid-city Cleveland and Carrollton. So we got so seven feet of water. Seven feet of water in your house. Mm-hmm. And so I had to go to Shreveport. And then the city of Orléans, France, which is the sister or brother city to New Orleans. It's actually where we got our namesake. <laughs> We're the New Orleans for the Orleans of France. Right. They offered uh, students that studied French and international studies at UNO a full ride. So I went to France for six months, and that's really when all my studies finally came together because wow. I was far from fluent when I went. And um, the school I've been working at, I've been there for two years now, and I have to work completely in French, so it's really, like, come together. You know? so, so you walk into the classroom in the, in the morning. Bonjour. Bonjour. And that's it for the day. Mm-hmm. You're speaking French the whole day, and the kids you're teaching are all New Orleans kids. Mm-hmm. They're all American. Wow. All American and are they, are they able to ask you questions in English? And you have to answer in French, or do they have to speak French? No, I'll French? just say en français. If they speak in English, I'll say uh, en français, en français. Wow. And so, you, what, are you, what, what subjects are you teaching? How old are these kids? They're eight, nine years old in third grade, and they learn math, social studies, science, um, and French in French. And you're teaching all this in French? Right. Well, I'm the teacher's assistant. Um, the, uh, the lead te- I work with two third grade classes, and the two lead teachers are from France. And um, I kind of assist them. We do a lot of remediation because for some kids, they don't arrive to grasp the language as well as others. So for those kids, you know, we do lots of group work, and I'm kind of in charge of that. So why would some parent in New Orleans who wants their kid to get a good education and is presumably paying for this as well... Want oh, it's to, public and free. It's public, and it's free. It's a charter school. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So is that's why you... see charter? Where are you at? It's... Um, are you at the... Uh, international the, the school? International school, okay. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so why would some parents want to send their kids... To have to, it's not hard enough to get an education. You have to do it in French. Well, because by the time they graduate, it's kindergarten to eighth grade, and by the time they graduate eighth grade, they're completely bilingual. I mean, there's some kids, there's some kids that have a better grasp of language than me that are in middle school. They just. But when I went to school, and I'm sure it's the same for almost everybody, I could barely understand what was going on at all. And, and I had a pretty good grasp of the language I grew up in, which was English. Didn't, didn't, do you have so that a, feeling is elevated. It must be awful. I would never go well, to school. I'd have a stomach ache every I've day. I thought the same thing when I started there, but I've, you know, we've gone to lots of seminars and workshops and talked about lots of teachers, and many, many studies show that regardless of the language that we learn in, the skill that we learn is the same in any language. So whether or not you speak Chinese, French, German, English, whatever, you're ma- and you're learning math, your, your brain processes it the same way as if it were in English, Chinese, French, or English. Well, that makes sense because it's not like you, you know, it's handed down to us by some aliens or it was born with us. I mean, you have to learn it. Right. So why would you learn it any different depending on what language you learned it? You I don't. Mean, and you I was don't. actually so, just reading have... an article two days ago that said uh, that some people were trying to find the disconnect between learning, learning how to count and whether it's culturally derived or if you have to learn. And they found out the only reason we know how to count is because of language. Because they went to a deaf school... And um, they, uh, I believe it was in Venezuela, maybe, or Argentina. And that at the deaf school, they count, but they have symbols for what they count. They don't do one, two, three, four, and five. They approximate with symbols, and they can only count to four. And so they found well, out they have that... have ten fingers. Why can they only get to they, they just do approximations with uh, their So signs. you mean you have no concept of numbers unless you have language? Exactly. 
You have right to be now, taught to call count. Sort of a neurolinguistic type. <coughs> or, Listen or, to poor old Frank with this cough. Or this if is, you're in a timeout. This is a bad situation. Mm-hmm. Or timeout. Yeah, Tim was in a timeout today, and I started counting one, two, three, four, and he did six, seven, eight, nine, <laughs> ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. I was like, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. Like, That's impressive. Where did he learn that? Timeouts. Timeouts. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's a pretty interesting job you've got there, though, as well yeah, as being kinda, a rock you know, star. Yeah, it's kind of, you know, he was, like, her son was in timeout, mm. so he kind of goes in this, like, survival mode because he wants to know how much time he has left, mm. how much time he's already done. So when my students in class, you know, they have to answer in French, they have to uh, find a way to express themselves in the language. So in a way, it's kind of like how, if a kid, for example, wants to leave the classroom and go to the bathroom and ask for water, they have to figure out in their head how to say it in French, oh, but then they're not given permission. So they're kind of like... That's why every student I have... Survival even, mode. Even the ones that are the... Lo- even my, my students that are struggling, every single one of them knows how to say, can I go to the bathroom? Can I go get water? Can I go do this? Because it enables them to like leave class and go do whatever. Because they know if they say that, they kind of get a little bit of independence or something they can do on their own. So in that sense... They want to know how to say. So that's the first things. thing you learn is can I go to the bathroom? Lots yeah. of kids, every kid knows how to say that. How do you say it? Est-ce que je peux aller aux toilettes? Okay. I would just go toilette. Do you speak French, Karen? No, French. a little bit. But lately, I've been speaking French to Karen, like primarily at home, and she, she can some stuff. She'll just respond in English. She understands. It's easy to understand, and I get how he teaches it because normal body language and normal things you just catch on to it. And I mean, there's a routine every day. There's the same routine we follow every single day. So we know every single day at 8 o'clock we're going to do the calendar. La calendrier. So we do it every single day. So the kids start to learn the vocabulary that way. It's really cool. Wow. And, and did, you. Did, you, did you speak any, you didn't speak any French before you guys met and lived together? No, I took it in third grade. It was required in third grade. And That's then in high school. But in high school my teacher loved me and he was Lebanese and I'm part Lebanese and then he let me do whatever I wanted to do. That's nice. <laughs> so she learned a lot. So I didn't learn anything. So w- did you grow good. up here? Is this in New Orleans? I grew up in Shreveport. Well, that's me too. We actually yeah. grew up together. In yeah. You grew up together in Shreveport, and did you move down together here? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And were you in a band in Shreveport together? Mm-hmm. Yes. What was that called? Generic. Generic. That's where it started. That's so generic was born in Shreveport. Right. Yes. And uh, what happened to it when you got here? Well, was it just um, the two. Did you bring other people with you? No, it was actually in Shreveport. It was just us two. And then we, when we came down here, you know, we was kind of getting settled in and finding a job, etc. And then one day I was like, it had probably been close to a year since our last show. And I was like, Karen, we should really try and just go play a show somewhere just for fun. And so we, we kind of... We jokingly did it with another friend's band, right. the pharmacy. They came in and we showed them what we had had before. So they asked us to do it. We did it. And then our other roommate, Sheila came in and started dancing on the stage and was like, you guys are not having a band without me. Yeah. So she was just a roommate. She had nothing to do with music right. or anything. But she was always privy to what we had been doing in Shreveport right. and she was always you know, super proud of us. And so when we mm-hmm. came down here and we started playing, she was like, you've got to let me on that stage with y'all. There's <laughs> no way that y'all are going to go up there and I'm not going to perform with y'all. So she's in turn started making all these incredible, amazing, mm-hmm. avant-garde I'd like to say haute couture uh, costumes. Yeah, that's and like, French, at least. So, right. she's, so she's doing the wacky costumes that you guys are wearing. Right. And then we have a live drummer also. Okay. He's not here today. A live drummer. Right. So we... As opposed to a dead drummer? Well, we well. make beats. We make... Like, the most majority of our songs are like electro and dance beats that we play like, right. through the PA or the speaker. And so, so the he plays like a live drum beat nice. along with it. Right. And it kind of gives it like a more... Frank, are you following? 
Oh, yeah. You Frank okay, knows good. what's going on. Okay, good. He's jonesing for a cigarette. That's the only thing, right? Maybe a little. You're all right. Well, I, you can't light up in here because they don't let you smoke at the Collins anymore. I know. Long anyway. You can smoke so there? With, no, you're not allowed to smoke in the whole place, John. Not anymore? Place. Wait, no, wait. not at all. Since, no, since the beginning of the year. Smoke Sorry January about 1st. that. Wow. You, you have to get the, you know, chewing tobacco. So why don't we take a listen to a song? Okay. From Gene Eric. What do you say, you guys? Born in Shreveport, raised in New Orleans, playing all over town. This is the new with album. With a live drummer. The new album's called Get It. Get it. Gene Eric's album, Get It. And let's take a listen to, what do you think, Real World? Yeah, let's listen to Real World. I love the song. Mitch, what do you say? Ready to go? Cool. (laughs) I hear it. Does it sound right? Way. 
Awesome yeah. song, isn't it? Thank you. It is Gene Eric and Living in the Real World from the album Get It. I see the last words of the song are Get It. Mm-hmm. And the song, yeah. the name of the album is Get It. Mm-hmm. So it's you, a term we use quite, quite often. What do you mean by Get It? Get, get It! <laughs> like if you Any see situation. somebody dancing really hard and they're like in their own little moment. Get, get it, girl. It. Like, get it, girl. Okay. <laughs> Did you dream that up, you guys? Is that the Shreveport? Well, I thing? guess it's like a double entendre, like. Get it, and then also get it, our album, come and get it. Like, come and buy it. it. <laughs> yeah. It's great, it's a great song. Frank, did you enjoy it? I did. I, I thought it had a, for me at least, it reminded me kind of a, of an 80s retro, kind of brought cool. back a lot of memories type deal. Oh, did good, because I love yeah. the 80s. What memories were you uh, floating through? Uh, they're fuzzy, they're fuzzy. But, <laughs> well, uh, the, <laughs> mostly the, I, I kept thinking of the early videos on MTV. Cool. Oh, yeah, those uh, the best ones. What sort of, which ones? You don't, anyone well, like, in particular? Uh, like, Aha and uh, ah, some of those. Aha, take on yeah, me. Yeah, Take on me. That was the 80s? Awesome. Best I could remember. <laughs> what, what was happening to you in the 80s, Frank? Perez, that is not Frank Jones from Gene Eric, but Frank Perez from the French Quarter. Well, in the, in the 80s, I was flunking French out of LSU. Flunking out? Why yes. was that? Too stupid or too high? Oh, no. I was uh, too drunk and too high. I was having quite a time. It was the best time of my life, actually. Okay. Yes. And did you wish that you stuck with it and made something of your life, or you're happy now? Well, to the, be... the, the irony is I eventually did end up graduating uh, and went that's... on to get a master's degree. <laughs> well, that's oh, not. Well. So you were flunking out, but in a good way. Yes. You, you taught yourself a lesson, apparently. What sobered you up and made you complete it? Well, I think coming to terms with my uh, sexuality really scared the hell out of me. And I actually went all religious for a while. Wow. That's an interesting, yeah. Uh, yeah. interesting balance there. You came to terms with your sexuality, and that turned you toward God. For a while. Which uh, God? Yeah, the, uh, the the Christian version that you see the right-wing Republicans uh, advancing. Oh, really? And uh, not my proudest moment, but it probably did save my life because it sobered me up for a few years. And you've been to school. And I did. What were the order of events? You, you, you realized that you were gay, and then you started drinking? Or you started drinking? Oh, no, I had you... started drinking long before I realized I was gay. Okay. Uh, that started in junior high. <laughs> I mean, drinking to excess. Yeah, I think... That you just flunk out of school. Right. Drinking. You know, I'm basically a hedonist by nature, so I, the religious thing, it wasn't so much an effort to disguise as it was maybe a, a desire to change, and then I eventually realized that that just wasn't going to happen and right. became okay with it myself. Wow. So how did God get into it? Did you guys follow any of this yet? Well, I mean, what if you brought it to now, where is your spirituality now? Now that you're kind of comfortable with your sexuality. I'm comfortable with anyone's version of his or her spirituality. Mm-hmm. I think truth is uh, the most important thing. And like your song, mm-hmm. just being real, living in reality. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Whatever living in the real whatever, world. Whatever that reality is. Whatever your is. real world is, yes. as long as you're comfortable in it. Yes. You know what interests me is, why do we talk about gay as a sexuality thing? Instead I don't just know. Just a being. Yeah, instead of just saying as a sort of a cultural thing. Well, or a, I know, I don't know, I don't like it. I, people ask me, are you gay or straight or bi? And I feel like at this point, like, it's like 2011, I'm like, I'm just right. frank. Just, Sometimes I don't even know, and why should I have to have an answer? It's I like, think true. the answer is, because I would say that if anybody asked me, I'd say I'm fluid. 
You know? yeah. uh-huh. It's like I was married my whole life, three husbands, and everybody's like, oh, and then you realize you came out of the closet and became gay. And I'm like, no. Whoa. I saw Tatiana in front of Mimi's, and I fell stone in love with her. Uh-huh. You know, And now we're together, and we have a child. It's not like now I'm like some raging lesbian, or I was a raging heterosexual before or anything. I've been uh-huh. all over the map. Yeah. But you know, my I have a little cousin who is going... <laughs> the same situation that you're talking about like going straight back to religion I want this normal life and everything he's 17 years old and he just he came out to me about two years ago and then just recently told me that he now has a girlfriend he's now fully religious he's now doing this he, he wants does? to live he has a girlfriend yes and he wants to live a normal life and I kept telling him on and on and on it doesn't matter your sexuality you can have a normal life you can have a normal family you can do everything that a normal thing is and it's just sad to know that Especially at this time now, he's only 17 now, and it's 2011, that kids are still feeling this way, and they can't feel comfortable yet. Oh, and they and struggle. I mean, it's horrible. And it's this is so sh- sad. Is it because he's in Shreveport? And it probably has a lot to do with it's him being in Shreveport. Shreveport. I mean, whenever he comes here to visit me, he has a good time. He's open. All my friends are open. I mean, but you know, I don't know about that because I actually moved, well, that's to, true. San- I I moved to San Francisco for 16 years and I was there and I started working with this guy and he, he and I just had great chemistry and, as friends and we hung out for a year. We just hung out, we drank together, we did everything together and I kept trying to set him up, you know, and I mean, mm-hmm. he looked like the most heterosexual person. He never said anything different. And then one day at the table, he said, Rachel, don't you get it? I'm gay. And I was like, What? Yeah. You liar. You know what I mean? <laughs> I was just like, I couldn't believe that we had been so close. And he, he had been living with somebody. He had a boyfriend. They uh-huh. were living together. You right. know what I mean? He, was, he, maybe he just thought you knew. No he, no, he knew I didn't know. He was so in the closet in San Francisco in an architecture firm, okay, where architects are all gay. Uh-huh. They don't all admit it, but they're all like, they have the gay gene. You know what I mean? And it's like, hello? <laughs> Is there a gay gene, Frank Perez? I suspect there is. I mean, who on earth would choose the lifestyle, given the society that we live in? Um, one of the things that I'm doing right now as a writer is uh, finishing up a book on, on the gay history of New Orleans. You would think that such a book exists, but it does not. Wow. And so for the last uh, year and a half or so, a colleague of mine, which is to say my bartender and I, have... Uh, Do you have your own personal bartender? <laughs> well, I have several. <laughs> <laughs> now we're talking. Uh, but we've been we've been interviewing. Oh, it must be at least a hundred men, uh, gay men. Uh, many of them older, some younger. And Frank, we'd like to interview you if you're open to such. I would uh, love to. Such. Thing. I'd be honored. Yeah, absolutely. So anyway, but w- the thing that I've gathered from all these interviews and talking to men, and the older ones have requested. Many of the older ones have requested we not use their names in the book, really? just to give you an idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, the younger ones don't have any problem with it. But no, no matter where you are, what time period you live in, what city you're in, I think you would both would agree that coming out is a gradual process that really never yeah. ends, and the first step is coming out to yourself. And until you make that first step, uh, you're going to be tormented uh, no matter where you are. Yeah, you know, and I think that's really interesting that you say that because I feel like uh, the general assumption is Oh, you come out of the closet. That's it. You're gay on the scene, and then like, like uh, that's like the end of the story. Oh, you came out. The end. Like that is just the beginning. Like once right. you finally 
admit that to yourself or maybe not even that you're fully gay or just that you feel a certain way that is only the beginning of like this entirely I feel new journey that's about to happen sure and the stereotype is that you know all gay men are flamboyant and flamers and whatnot but that's a small minority in my experience yeah and so when you're pretty yeah, butch like I am yeah, I, I didn't to, think you were gay at yeah, all. I, I, sat down. I have to come out every time I meet new people, every time I start a new what do you, job. What do you mean? You have to tell people that you're well, gay? No, I mean, I don't go around advertising and I don't wave rainbow flags around, but in the course of a, of a conversation... Yeah. People just don't assume. People just don't right. assume. Why, why is it something that anybody cares about? I, I'm not saying they care <laughs> about it. That's the whole but, problem. <laughs> but it, in the course of just a conversation, getting to know someone, if, yeah, I, mention, I, if okay. I mention that my, you know, my boyfriend had to go to work tonight, right. they're like, oh, oh. Does it make people in your experience feel differently about you, or does it just like finding out somebody is Catholic or Jewish or something? Makes no difference. I mean, there there have been I can count on one hand the number of people that I would say were friends of mine and that didn't want to have anything to do with me after they found out. Right. But those are people not worth knowing anyway. But there still yeah. there still are people like that. Though. There oh definitely there mm-hmm. are. But but the vast majority of people couldn't care less. You yeah, that's... I feel like those people that are that are, um, you know, um, I don't know how to say it. Uh, those people that might you know oppress other people or not agree or et cetera, et cetera. I think they're becoming the minority faster than well, those that are. Well, yeah, I think so. the, the I think the young people, like uh, a friend of mine, a young friend of mine was uh, in college and um, called me and said, you know, I think I'm a lesbian. And I said, well, before you tell your parents, make sure you're not gay till graduation like a lot of girls are. Because a lot of girls do have more fluid <laughs> okay, sexuality. Okay, wait, wait up there. What is that term? Gay till graduation? Gay till graduation. <laughs> because women are much more sexually fluid than men. And uh, there are a lot of women who have sexual relationships with their friends, and mm-hmm. then they choose a heterosexual no, I know okay. so many girls. Okay, okay here's, here's the whole point. Uh-huh. You said there are so many women who have sexual relationships with other women and then whatever the rest of the sentence was after that. I said, is, I, is I didn't mean sexual, to say choose. Is they, sexual relationship is just one part of your life? Yeah, and that's what I think it is. I, you know, it's, look, honestly, look at this picture. And I was just reading. I'm a, I was a 50-year-old woman, or almost 50, when I met my partner. Okay. I obviously have a professional life, did not need a man to support me. I um, obviously could not bear children myself so I didn't need a man to inseminate me so what I wanted in life was a partner to be my companion to travel with me to enjoy my life to have a child with me you know really at 50 years old most men my age didn't want to look at me second of all the last thing they wanted was to start a family and so when I met Tatiana and we first of all had chemistry but second of all had all of the same goals in our life you know, our love went from just love at first sight to a deepening love and a partnership. Had she been with another woman before She's been you? a lesbian all her life. Okay. Yeah. And, and you, had you had another relationship with another woman before you met her? I had had sex with women, but never had a relationship right. with a woman. Okay, so this, this is back to my question then. Isn't there a difference between sexuality and gayness? Yes. I, I yeah. think for the most part in our society, in Western culture, uh, sexual, or at least homosexuality has been considered a verb. In other words, it's what you do, and it's really not what you do. You can be perfectly straight and experiment and do something homosexual, but doesn't make you homosexual. Aha. Uh-huh. So homosexuality... I'm glad to hear that. Thank you. Does that, that make sense? It cleared that up. 
But that, yes. don't you, that so, sounds very kind of that's like, male gay oriented. Yes. That's not like a woman's perspective. I'm not, I'm not gay, thing. but my boyfriend is. It's one of those. I mean, I, let me put it like this. I have a lot of lesbian friends, and there are some who have been lesbian from birth. There are some who have been in and out of male to female relationships. There are some who are in a relationship with a woman, but they sexually look at men. Well, sure. You know, I mean, there's uh, all sorts no, of No, I totally understand yeah, what right, you're saying, yeah. but, but consider the untold thousands of women who are truly lesbians, 100%. Exactly. Who ended up marrying and right. having kids sure. just because they had to. I feel sorry for them. Right. That doesn't make them bi or hetero. No, I agree with you. Yeah. Would you like to be interviewed for the book also? Yes, I would. Great. What's the name of the book? Right now, we're calling it In Exile, The History and Lore Surrounding America's Oldest Gay Bar, which is uh, Cafe Lafitte's Beats. In Exile. Yeah. Nice. Okay. I worked nice. there for two and a half days. You worked there for two wow. and a half days? Did you get fired? I quit. Why? Wow. <laughs> Was it a little too much for did, you? Did the manager, actually, did the manager bring you to the casting council? hit on you? No, no. Actually, the entire interview process was really nice and professional, and I thought they were really sweet. And then I started, and I was like, oh, well, okay, I'll just go with this, because I really needed the money, and it was during Mardi Gras, which is when... Go, go, our go, with, go with what, are we talking Well, I kind of, I mean, I thought, like, you know, bartend at a gay bar and have fun with all the dudes, and, like, act cute and get tipped and bartend and have a good time, whatever. It's, like, way more involved than I thought it would be. Not to say that I don't like that, like that bar. What, what are we I talk- love going we, to that bar. What are we talking about? What did you have to do? I mean, I just had to be behind the bar for eight hours and, like, put on a smile on my face, and then I couldn't drink, and I was like, oh, I'll get to bartend, I'll be able to, like, have a couple of drinks and, like, loosen up and, and, you know, and have fun with all the customers. But the shifts were really long, and then I would come on... It had to work, Grant. Yeah. Well, I would come on... I thought it was going to be some horrible... Well, I had two other jobs, too. So you just... And so I would come on at 11 o'clock at night and get off at 4 or 5. And then what... The night I walked out was um, Man Night. Man Night in a gay bar. Okay. Which would be maybe fun to go to, but I didn't really have a good time working in. It's when they black out all the windows in the bar, and then all they play is um, really hardcore porn on all the TVs. And um, which was was fine, and then. That was the night that all my friends decided to come visit me at my new job. Karen, how did you like it? So, it's fun. Like, I've been to many, many, many gay bars, and I've seen all the hardcore porn all over the walls, but it was just... Pretty, but, pretty hilarious. Scene. Yeah, exactly. Breaking so for my, for my, so for my like straight, straight twenty-something-year-old friends to come in, I'm like, hey, at work, and they're like, Frank, what's on TV? I'm like, look, it's Man Night. Okay, it's once a week. This is something we do, and everybody's into it. And Karen's like, trying not to laugh her ass off at the bar. She's like, look at that guy. He's eating a turkey leg and having sex with that dude. I was like, I was like, be quiet. Have you seen that? It's film, better than the Frank? porn I've seen at the yeah. Phoenix, where they were inserting these needles into their uh, penis which was like wow that's and I, not porn that's... I was facing it and I was like can I can you can we just trade seats here because uh, that was a little bit more than turkey leg eating yeah but I mean um, it was totally fine I think you're right I think it just it, it really didn't matter what was going on in the bar I mean because I'm totally like to each their own and so you, you would rather have been on the other side of the bar having fun rather than sitting behind the bar pouring drinks yeah. till five in the morning I'd just taken on too much and yeah. like I mean that, and then from that job I had to go to my other job at like eight in the morning what and, was your other job uh, I was serving at a hotel in the quarter the Maison de Ville and then I was also teaching animation and art as an after school program which was from four to six so I was You're a busy like, guy I was clocked out. And so I think, I don't think it was necessarily 
what was going on in the bar. I think I, that's when I realized I was like, all right, I officially took on too much. I'm, I'm, for I'm for whatever it's worth, Frank, they, they don't do that anymore. They don't? Man night? Yeah, it used to be on Tuesday nights after 10, Yeah, it was I think. Tuesday. So what happened? Wasn't. Yeah. Why don't they do it? Didn't catch uh, on? I don't know. I guess... I don't know. Ran out of man. You know what? In fact, maybe it wasn't what was going on in the bar. I think it was that all my friends came in. And I was like, I want to go hang out with them. I don't want to be in here right now. Like, that wasn't the job for you standing behind the bar. Wasn't the job. For so, me. what have you found out about the gay history of New Orleans? What's your sort of what? What is the what's the major thesis of the of the book? Is it about discrimination? Is it about a cultural well contributions to the society? Or what's it about? There's all of that. The 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 main thing I would say is the lack of any type of visibility. I mean, yeah. there's absolutely no source material. Uh, we've relied primarily on the oral history recollections, memories of these men we've interviewed. The only thing in the official record are arrest records, police reports. Of being uh, arrested for being a homosexual or homosexual activity. Yes. Uh, it was very common oh. well into the 70s. Uh, it started to die off in the 70s, but in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, uh, police. You, go back, you go back to the 30s with this thing? Oh, yes. We talk about wow, the... Uh, okay. we, actually, in the book, we open by discussing the gender-bending Native Americans who occupied this bend in the river we call the French Quarter. Oh, I love that. I did not yes. know that. Oh, gender-bending yes. Native Americans. Oh, absolutely. Nice. What, what were they doing? Uh, well, they were the area where the French market is now in the French Quarter was actually an Indian trading post. Several Native American tribes would... Uh, would meet there and trade and, and whatnot. So that's always been a... Were they cross-dressing or something? Some about? of them. Uh, Berdachis was the name that they had, and they would, uh, they would would the men would assume traditional, what we would think of as traditional female roles. And the uh, the European colonists were just absolutely horrified by this. And there are... They num- still would be, I think. Yeah. There's still there's some number of uh, interesting passages in the journals of these Christian colonizers and uh, it's, uh, but so that's so that's written material. You did find some written material there. A few passing references here and there. Uh, one of the more interesting revelations that I think the straight community is going to be shocked to discover uh, when the book comes out later this year, that maybe not so much in the gay community would be surprising, is that uh, District uh, Attorney Jim Garrison was a closet case. Jim Garrison himself was, the, the was district, gay. Wow. The district attorney, or wasn't at least he, by. Wasn't he famous for busting Clay Shaw in the, yes. in the Lee Harvey Oswald case? Yes, and, and we've that, interviewed a number of men who oh, recount oh, seeing oh, Jim Garrison in the gay bars. And a lot of people have theorized that it was his prosecution of Clay Shaw that stifled whatever political activism may have arisen in New Orleans, because that was right after Stonewall. Uh, in which the gay liberation movement nationwide really got on its feet. But here in New Orleans, you know, we're much more social than we are political, so I don't know if that's really, uh, it probably wouldn't have been too active anyway. So was there, um, what you're suggesting is then, is that there was some sort of gay underworld in those days where people weren't out in the open because Jim Garrison was married with a family? Oh, and that's still the case. I mean, yeah, we, I've, interviewed, I've interviewed men who, uh, who refuse to give names, but no men who are in these old line... Mardi Gras crews like Rex and Momus that are that are very much gay. Okay, well here we go with the back to the same old question: Are they are they men with a gay gene who are pretending to be not that sort of a person because they want to appear like a normal person in society, 
or are they just guys who like to, who are married and like to have sex with other guys once in a while? You, you know what, I, Frank? I know the question is directed at you, but I was just thinking about um, when Tatiana and I were in New York, right? And I was 50 years old, walking down the street with my girlfriend, and people stare at us a lot in New York, right? Mm-hmm. Um, young men come street? up to us and proposition us to have sex with them all the time because they think men naturally believe that because we're lesbians that we want to have sex with a man because we don't have the best dildos made in the world, right? Um, Anyway, so we're walking down the street and I just noticed, you know, like for me, I have no self-consciousness. Well, my girlfriend's from Croatia, which has a lot of homophobia. Enormous amount of homophobia. As a matter of fact, when we left Croatia a couple summers ago, they had just put signs on the beach that says, no gays, right? Okay, so when we go home... Why the beach? I don't know. When we go home, she's closeted, right? right. Like all of our gay friends there are. Did you go with her to Croatia? I did, but we were closeted there, which I had a huge problem with because I didn't get to be 50 years old, decide I was going to be with a woman, tell everybody in the world I know, and suddenly have to go in the closet when I was never there, right? But here's what happened. We went to the Cubby Hole in New York, which is a lesbian bar, and we were in there, and I saw a lot of young girls, and I felt sorry for them because at 19 years old, when you're trying to make it in the world and you're gay, um, you already have a strike against you. Um, and that's just what I was, you know, starting to tell okay, you before. So, so you still think that? So society is still it's, set it's up. It's got, it's gotten yes, less so. It it's gotten less so, and I think that there's more hipness to being gay because we had a straight couple, young couple, over at a house the other day, and they're like, "When we grow up, we want to be just like you." And I'm like, "Let's see, white older lesbians with a black boy." Well, uh, I, think I don't they, know how you're going to get there, but <laughs> well, I think the thing was that I mean, I think lot. I think the um, you know stuff that you can read that. There's a lot of gay relationships that endure a lot more and a lot longer than straight relationships. And um, oh, absolutely, we we've met many many couples, gay couples that have been together thirty, I mean, forty forever, years, forever, yeah. forever. Yeah. And you know, like you said, you know, is it a gene? Is it somebody who just wants to be married to a woman or this or that? I think honestly, even though we're in these modern times, etc., it's still the easy way. It's still the easier way out to just say, you know what, I'm just going to get married. And maybe have sex on the side. And, and is that the easy way out for you in your life, though? I mean, could you pull me. that off? No. Could you pull that off, Frank? Too. I hate to say the easy way out, but I don't mean so to what's say easy, the easier that's what way I'm out. What's what's obviously, easy it's a struggle. But people it's think it's. I think people might think it's more difficult to come out and live as a gay person than it is just to kind of quell those feelings. It may not be easier to live in denial, but it certainly is less scary than coming out. Right, yeah. I mean, it's very gray area. Doesn't, isn't the object of living to be happy? I mean, well, I would for me so. it is. <laughs> Wouldn't you say that, Rachel? You know, I, honestly, I feel like I'm a different kind of person because I didn't have to make this choice when I was young. I'm making it now when I'm 50, when I don't give a shit what anybody thinks. You know, I mean, when I was 20, perhaps I cared more. Maybe not as much as most people do or 20, but now I don't care at all, right? Mm-hmm. You think that's just because you're older, not because... I do think being older makes a huge in- difference, don't you think? I mean, Yes, just- it, well, it gives you perspective. Right. Yeah. But don't you think evolution can come or epiphany can come or a change in your life can come at any time? It doesn't have to be related to time. Yeah, sure, it can come, but are you going to accept and recognize it? I mean, it's right. really your decision that you make. Mm-hmm. Well, how did you make it? I mean, honestly, here lately, I, I feel like more and more, like, okay, 
So I guess I, I was feeling very gay, and I was like, am I gonna just come out and say I'm gay? Like, is that like the decision I'm gonna make for the rest of my life? Am I going to commit to this new identity and tell everyone, you know, I'm gay, and then be gay forever? Because I had many girlfriends and like dated lots of girls, et cetera, et cetera. And um, I was kind of like, you know, yeah, I think I am. And that was. Um, Did you have this conversation with yourself? Yes, yeah, definitely internal uh, conversation that I have. You didn't it's have a friend an or a therapist or a teacher no, or nothing. Was, no. Okay. Definitely, it was all internal, and um, and so you know, once you come out, it's not just like oh I'm gay, like you know hunky dory. Let's just go have fun and whatever. That's when you really kind of start. That's for me. That's when I really started kind of figuring out who I was, what interests me, what I really like, what makes me happy. And that was maybe two two and a half years ago. And now that I've kind of come to terms with this homosexual side of me, I feel more open to everyone, whether they be gay or straight, because now that I've kind of given myself this time to reflect and just think about it and experiment and meet people, etc., I feel more kind of in the middle than I ever felt on either side because I realize it doesn't really matter and, and I don't know necessarily if attraction comes from the sex of the person or just what you think they are or what you think they have to offer. Do you find that you have more balance in your life? Yes. Since you've come to terms with I feel with way, you... way more stable now right. than I ever have. Did you feel that, Rachel, when you, or did you just, you just evolved naturally from one thing to another and you know, it's, hard it's to not say a big because, deal. Honestly, I think that I was, I've always been a very strong, assertive woman and I was always very attracted to laconic, very effeminate men. And I think that the problems that we always had were that our identities were wrapped up in being a woman and being a man, and yeah. our roles were not working for us. And I think now that I'm with a woman who is a soft, you know, laconic, thoughtful woman, and I continue to be who I am, that she accepts my direction, my sort of takeover type personality, and I accept her softness because we're women. Yeah, so I wish that it could have been that way with the relationships I was in before, but there was always this resentment. You know, he wasn't Superman, and I wasn't. You know. So you didn't think that demure. you were, pl- you were yeah, playing the roles. Yeah. You weren't playing the roles. We weren't that, playing the roles, and I, and I think society I, demands. Let me tell you something. Opinion. As a professional, I was sitting across from one of my sources who I've been speaking to forever, an, an older man, um, maybe early sixties, and he said to me, "We." had a long relationship, 10 years we've been speaking, and he said to me, Rachel, I don't know how you're ever going to be with a man because of the way you are. You're just tough. You don't need anything. And it's like, damn, so that makes me what, unlovable, you know? Um, And so it it works out this way. It's not to say that I, I miss men. Men are quiet. You miss men in what sense? Men are quiet. Women over emote about everything. (laughs) Everything. And so can drive you crazy. I mean, I'm, I don't know if you have the same feeling of missing a woman in, you know, a kind of a woman. Maybe you don't, you know, no. you don't. Okay. <laughs> Do you miss anything? Like a cigarette right now. <laughs> I was thinking that. <laughs> See, and I think that's the whole problem because like, at the end of the day, you know, wanting a cigarette is kind of the same thing as being attracted to someone. It's really not that big of a deal. Yeah. And like, it's made out to be this huge deal. And it's like, why do you care so bad? Who I want to go like make out with behind the bushes or whatever. Like, I just feel like doing this. And why are you wait? I feel like it's a lot of time wasted by other people on what the actions of others when really it doesn't matter and it doesn't affect anything. The fact of the matter is that most people don't care about you. 
That's right. Most yeah. people yeah. aren't looking at you. Yeah. Except yeah. for you two because you're pretty good looking and you're young and you're in a band. Hey. Thanks a lot, huh, Frank? We got totally dissed there. Did oh, you come that? on. No, no I mean, for I mean, the record, everyone at the table is very cute. Very cute. In general, people aren't looking at anyone else. Everyone, we all think that everyone's looking at us and we have to behave a certain way and fill a certain role. Most people don't give a shit about you. They're preoccupied except thinking themselves. the same thing. Yeah, they all care about themselves. Yeah. What are they thinking of me? Everyone's thinking about mostly that, don't you think? What's everyone thinking of me? Right. And we're all thinking that. And that we're not really thinking about anyone else at all. Except, oh, he's cute, or she's cute, or <laughs> he's tall, or she's fat, or whatever it is that you True. think about, you know? Most people are preoccupied with their stupid selves. Yeah. Let's have a listen to a song. Okay. What do you say? I think sounds good. What, what should It'd we listen to? after this one. What, could, what do we need with something that's going to make us, like, feel up? Oh. And, you know, like, take our minds off everything. A cigarette. Oh. Take the mind off. Well, you could have a cigarette during the song if you want, Frank. You do better than good. How long is the song? Um, it's one song. I have one song that's about three minutes, and another that's about three and a half. One is about um, unrequited love in a way, and the other one's about just saying fuck it and having fun. Fuck it, having fun, yeah. and then Frank can have a cigarette. <laughs> okay, cool. Well, no, I want to hear the fuck okay. it and have fun. Song. Let's have the fuck it having fun song. Oh, Which I can one? Pee. Okay. You can go pee. So okay. this is called Better Than Good by our band Generic. And Thanks. it's off the album Get It? Get It. Yes. Yep. Check it out. It's the very first song that we ever wrote. Together. Yes.
Is that the end of the song? That's the end of the Very song. nice. Very Better good. than good. Better than good. It's a song that says fuck it, basically. Let's have fun. Yeah. It's off the album Get It by Gene Eric. Thank you. Now, I mean, there's four people in Gene Eric. Mm -hmm. And that was the first song. And you guys wrote that together? Yes. Karen? On and the Frank. floor of Karen's bedroom in Shreveport. <laughs> because our practices consisted of what are we going to wear tonight? Yeah, and and so, and you wear these on the video that there's a video that we can we can link to if you take a look at the link on our site um, that you guys are wearing like you have like sparkly stuff on your face and I don't know what's that called glitter glitter <laughs> but I mean it's not more than glitter it's like oh well we have uh, we have little gemstones we take a little Elmer's glue yeah. and put it on and and you've got wacky like I mean this and your well, the other person in your band Sheila Sheila yeah. Sheila's making she the makes costumes. many of her own costumes but we for that particular video we were dressed by two local designers called Hal Pop and they um, take lots of thrift store finds and they just do amazing things with them so if you want to see some awesome DIY fashion check out Gina Eric's Better Than Good video because it's completely dressed by New Orleans designers. And do you play around town much? A lot. Yeah. Where yes. are you playing mostly? Um, we play a lot at, well... We, we play really anywhere. We played, I feel like we, we played, played every, almost everywhere. We played everywhere. Circle Bar, our, one of our favorite shows. We played at the New Orleans Museum of Art for one of their played openings. Played at the CAC. Played at the Contemporary Arts Center. We played at uh, the Circle Bar, the Saint. We've played a lot with uh, local bounce artists like Big Frida and Sissy Noby and um, a lot of people that are on the Sissy Bounce scene. Um, How does your stuff fit into the sort of Sissy Bounce arena? I don't know. Like we, the, uh, we, we get invited to play and we're so flattered and excited and it just seems to work. It seems to be like a good segue. You know, say, say two bounce artists go on and then we go on and two more go on. It, it just seems to work. And I think we have the same respond. energy as bounce music. Yeah. And what do you call your music? Does it have a name? Lounge Crunk. Lounge Crunk. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's the name of the site, loungecrunk.com. Mm -hmm. And does the word crunk come from Let's Get Crunk, the whole yeah. crazy yeah. Super Bowl Definitely. thing? Totally. Lounge Crunk. Mm -hmm. so that's uh -huh. a style of music that you've totally invented yeah. yourself. It's kind of taken, like, I love, like, I love lounge music and, like, stupid elevator music and, like, mall music that you hear, like, you know, um, like the vibes and, like, uh, you know, Glockenspiel yeah. and stuff like that. I love all those sounds, like electric piano, but then I also love all the sounds of crunk and rap and bounce music. Mm -hmm. So I guess I try and put so you've those together. Put the two you've, together. You've put them together in your own music. Yeah. And it's Lounge Crunk. It's Lounge Crunk. Yeah. Dot com. The name of the band com. is Gene Eric, J-E-A-N, mm -hmm. dash or hyphen, Eric. Mm -hmm. And the name of the album is Get It. You can check it out. You can, there's a link to it on our website. And you can get it wherever good music is sold, wherever that is, which is basically nowhere now. Well, you can get it online. in many stores in New Orleans. You can get it locally. You can get it locally in New Orleans. Yes. And what about online? Is it Amazon.com uh, and iTunes it and so on? I think it's on Amazon, but no longer on iTunes. Support Louisiana Music Factory probably. It's that? Yes. yes, it's that. Yeah. But if them. you're listening to this and you're somewhere else in the world, you could get it. You can order it. from them. Um, you, you get, you get it, from, it online or on the, you can call them and they can get it. They can okay. Send it to you. Or loungecrunk.com. Great shout out. Do you send yes. it? Can you, you send it out from your site, loungecrunk.com? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, if anyone... Contact us or emails us. We will do anything okay. we can to get. Rachel Dangermond. Yes. That's an interesting name, Dangermond, yes, isn't it? It is. It's a very unusual it's my name. My ex-husband's name. Oh, really? What was your original family name? My um, family name is Namer, which is a Sephardic name. Okay. Namer, N-A-M-E-R. Mm -hmm. But Dangermond is like what is that? Sort of Beautiful. a French. It's French Huguenot through Holland. Okay. So it, it was Dangermond, and now it's Dangermond. And you've stuck with that as a professional name. I've stuck with that as a professional name. 
so, and my name and, and, your, my, and, my, and son your personal is, name. my son is named Tin Dangerman. So what a great name! Yeah. So wow. we can find your writing somewhere online, I suppose. Can we, or yes. do we have to go buy an actual magazine? No, I actually blog daily, um, and my blog is www.dangermond.org.org. Dangermond is spelled danger as in danger, M-O-N-D. Correct. And what about your your writing, which we started off this whole conversation with, which we've never found out what it is, and even your partner, Tatiana, can't understand it. So exactly. far be it from us to ask another it's question. Mystery, yeah. It's a mystery. It's so a mystery. So we'll just totally forget about Let's that. Let's forget about that. What's for the whole thing. Okay. Thank you. Frank Perez, where do we find a history of gay New Orleans when it comes out? In, uh, in it, exile. It, it'll be available at a, at a number of local bookstores. Just about all the local bookstores will hopefully have it. can definitely find it at, uh, at Otis Fennell's bookstore in the Marigny, the Faubourg Arts uh, Bookstore. And when Who's we publishing ex- it? Sorry. Go ahead. Good question. It, well, I'm a little reluctant to say because we're, we're talking to a, my partner, my colleague, and I are my debating, bartender and I. My bartender and I are debating whether or not we're going to go with this particular publisher. So I'd rather not say. But it should be out later this year, and uh, it'll certainly be listed on Amazon as well. Well, congratulations. That's congratulations. a big deal to actually come with writing an entire book. Thank you for really undertaking it. I would love to read it. Yeah. And you, you might even be in it. We might even be in it. You might both be in it. So very good. Thank you so much, all of you, for joining us here at the Collins Hotel for its New Orleans Happy Hour. The Collins Hotel is at 3811 St. Charles Avenue. It's a great place to come and have a drink, isn't it, you you guys? Yes. We've enjoyed our cocktails here. It's a beautiful room we're sitting in here. And you can see photos of it on our website, itsneworleans.com. If you'd like to have a drink, come on down anytime and join us down here or come and down and have a drink with your actual friends. And if you're coming to New Orleans, come and stay at the Columns Hotel. You can check it out at thecolumns.com. It's 3811 St. Charles Avenue in Uptown New Orleans. Our show is produced by, uh, by Tanya Castellanos, Trish Kaufman, and Melinda Hawes. Technical direction is by Mitch Cry. Our music is booked by Christian Unruh. If you'd like to be on the show or you know someone who'd like to be on our show, drop us a line at itsneworleans at gmail.com. Mitch Cry is our technical director. Did I say that? Yes, Mitch Foreman. Hey, Mitch. Mitch Foreman plays the music. He's playing the theme song you're listening to right now. He's unfortunately sick in bed today, so he couldn't be on the show, but he'll be back back next time. There's lots more happy hours for you to listen to if you poke around on our website. And also there's our other shows, including Psych Ward. I think you might rather enjoy that one. Until next time, when hopefully you'll join us again, I'm Grant Morris for It's New Orleans Happy Hour.